deals. And Bonds hit from high. It's a game. It is out of here. 3-2 to Mookie Wilson. Little roller up along first. Behind the bag. It gets through Buckner. Here comes Knight and the Mets win it. Halliday is one strike away. The 0-2. A bouncer. Ruiz. In time. Roy Halliday has thrown a no-hitter. Steal a little summoning from you, Dave. Three balls, two strikes, the pitch. Swing it a long drive. Deep left field. Going, going. Dean one on the line. That would be a line for a base hit. Here comes Joy. Here is Junior to third base. They're going to wave him in. The throw to the plate will be late. The Here's the pitch on the way. A swing and a belt. Left field. Way back. Blue Jays win it. The Blue Jays are World Series champions. Hello and welcome back to the show. A baseball podcast is your host, Rai Rai, as always, joined by Chris, a.k.a. Schwebzy, here for another week of baseball action for the week of September 18th. Got a lot to go into this week. We got uh, some more teams that have been eliminated. Going to go over their moratoriums as their postseason contention has ended. Going to talk about some uh, managers who also's seasons could be ending shortly um, and where they're going to go. What's up with catcher value? And as always, what is going on in MLB The Show this week at the end? Yeah, lots to talk about this week. And hi, friends. So... We are going to touch on a handful of teams this week, including the San Francisco Giants, the Philadelphia Phillies, the Arizona Diamondbacks, and the New York Mets. Now, I wanted to throw in the Mets here, A, because I have thoughts, B, because I kind of am really got my fingers crossed here for maybe a reverse jinx. We've won two in a row. Maybe we can win out and make the wild card if I talk about how the season's over. Maybe. And see at their current place, we're going to be talking about the Nets next week anyway. So, <laughs> let's let's start in Arizona because they are a very, very interesting situation. They just traded Zach Greinke away. They traded Zach Greinke. They traded for Zach Gallon. They nice did. Nice Zach exchange. And, but here's the major problem about how does Arizona go forward. They have something like seventeen. They're paying, yeah, they're paying Yosemite Tomas exactly seventeen million dollars towards the luxury tax next season, and paying ten point three repeating million on Zach Granke next year. So that's you know twenty twenty seven million, almost thirty million dollars in terms of deferred money for a team that's been all right. The, the downside to Arizona, what they're doing is, is their number one prospect is only ranked 70th overall on MLB Pipeline. Not great. They, their number four prospect is 96. So they have four prospects. They have four prospects in that range, but those are the only guys they have ranked. They don't have a slam dunk, like we'll talk about with some other teams, in terms of in terms of their prospects lists. And there so, is cause for optimism, though. Yes, if this you is true. if you look up and down the lineup, there were a lot of promising performances this year, namely a shocking MVP caliber performance mm-hmm. by Cattell Marte. Yes, unbelievable. For the vast majority of the year, we looked at the NL MVP race as just Bellinger and Yelich, and now that Yelich is down, everyone thought, "Oh, shoe in for Bellinger, right?" But Rendon has come up crazy and so has Cattell Marte yeah um I feel like even though it wasn't a huge step up too, the uh, getting Eduardo Escobar he took a step forward this year Escobar's been great Christian Walker hitting 25 home runs oh, yeah. or so um they finally got Jake Lamb back from his you know just parade of injuries and, and I think you're kind of gonna hope that some of these pitchers that you have 
kind of take the next step next year again mm-hmm. or get back into the form that they had in terms of like um, Bracco and Bradley, who of course I think were both really good last year, yeah. and, and those type of guys. And worst comes to worst, they aren't exactly in in a bad position. Obviously, like you don't want to trade somebody like a Christian Walker type, but you do have pieces like Bradley and Ray you can trade next year if it gets tough. Mm-hmm. And I like where they're going. They made some savvy moves getting like Escobar and Marte. They made a really nice trade uh, getting uh, getting rid of Goldschmidt. Uh, I say getting rid of, but you know they they dealt Goldschmidt at the time. It seemed like a pretty even trade. Like you know they they got a couple of promising youngsters. They traded away an aging veteran, and now with a season of hindsight, it looks like a good trade. Yeah, they got Kelly, they got Luke Weaver. Weaver and Gallon could be the foundation of you know the next great Arizona rotation. Yeah, absolutely, and they are. Even with the the thirty million dollars between Granky and Tomas, they're still in a fantastic situation. They have something like only with I think seventeen players are in arbitration next year on their twenty five projected twenty five man roster, but that's with only spending sixty four million dollars on the guys you got locked in already. So they have something like a hundred and thirty seven million dollars in room between all the arbitration guys. Yeah, and we're we're talking about bad managers later. Think back uh, to last year or uh, a couple years ago when who was it? Dave Stewart was the manager over yeah. there. Yeah, that was a disaster. And, they fired him and promoted Chip Hale in the middle of the year, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. Who's probably going to be a manager next year for somebody? Yeah, they they've turned things around pretty quickly. They, they they're the future is bright in Arizona. Although is um. Oh man, he was is. I'm drawing an absolute blank on his name. He was Cardinals manager for forever. Matheny? No, he was the Oakland guy before that. Uh, the Hall of Famer. Why am I drawing a blank on his name? Don't know. Oh god. I'm ter- I'll do managers. Managers don't contribute to statistics. Tony Larusa is he still? Like oh, their, oh, is yeah, he like LaRusse. still their special assistant slash assistant GM? I think so, yeah. Oh man, that he's, that... Always, he's always there to be grumpy every now and then. That's that's true. He might he might he might hold him back a little bit. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? But I I don't think there's room. I don't think there's move to panic. There, could no could I they think... could they trade some of their fourth year arb guys like Tawan Walker and Robbie Ray? Although you'd be selling low on Walker, I think they could. If they wanted to try and get one more guy up now in terms of prospects but i don't i don't think there's any room for panic even with their their farm system the way it is yeah i i it's it's the odd team that doesn't have a great farm system but still has nice yeah. uh a, a, you know some, some good looking years ahead of them and, and there is like I, I don't remember jake lamb being a really high rated prospect either they they seem to have these guys that are in the 70s and 80s range just come up and Tend oh, yeah, to like, be moderately successful at the major league level immediately. Cron, uh, yeah, year. yeah, Kron looks pretty good. Like, you know, again, Walker. Yeah, but uh, so let's uh, let's move on to a team that is very, very uh, far from my heart. It's a team that I, I personally dislike a lot. Them and their even year BS. I, I think this this might go back to the uh, the wild card playing game years ago when Bumgarner outpitched Syndergaard in what was a devastating loss in, in 2016. Was that like the one nothing game where the one run was scored in like the ninth inning? Yeah, it was it was horrible. Uh, Syndergaard pitched such a good game. But, you know, mentally not strong enough for New York. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, uh, San Francisco Giants. The, the, reason, the, the reason that I don't like them, like just as a whole as they're one of those teams that just always seems to do better than you'd expect just looking at the the, the surface numbers and just just looking at looking at the individual players they always seem to be greater than the sum of the parts so their offense this year their offense is atrocious their offense is a fourth fourth worst in the league their best 
player this year was uh, 2019 Evan Longoria, who, you know, just hearing the name Evan Longoria, you're like, oh, of course he's their best player. But no, 2019 Evan Longoria, not a good player anymore. That's no bueno. He's, he's okay. Just not the player that he was. You know, he's, he's basically league average nowadays. Yeah. And then after that, you've got what looks like a breakout from Mike Yastrzemski, which is a really cool story because, you know, if, if Yastrzemski sounds familiar to you, that's because Carl Yastrzemski, his grandfather, was a Hall of Fame player, you know, decades ago. So it's it's really cool that Mike Yastrzemski is having a really good year. Carl still looks jacked if you saw him through the first pitch out tonight right? in Boston. <laughs> I want to look that good at 86, man. <laughs> like, oh, God. I hope I look that good when I'm like 60, 50. Right. Aside from sexy old men. So Yastrzemski looks good statistically surface on the surface. But if you kind of dig in, like take a look at the baseball savant numbers and all of his X stats lag behind what his actual rate stats are. So uh, if you don't pay too much attention to the advanced stats, that means from the launch angle and exit velocity of all his hits, you'd expect him to perform worse than he has. It's more of a descriptive than a predictive statistic, but the what they describe is that he probably shouldn't be doing this well. So, and that's their bright spot. They made some moves at the trade deadline. They got a couple of good young guys. They got a, a Dubon who looks very good. They've just called up uh, Jalen. Jalen is his name, uh, uh, but uh, another another promising outfielder. They've got five top 100 prospects. So this is actually a surprising time where the San Francisco Giants have uh, some, you know, some bright spots ahead of them. Oh, normally, yeah. normally, not not a ton of prospects in San Francisco. They they are usually trying to win now. They. You know, they're not afraid to sacrifice prospects to make that happen. And while that has bitten them a few times, uh, they've gone, they, it looks like they've gone successfully in the other direction now. And, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of, they're doing that really difficult thing where they're rebuilding while still not being all that bad. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I, I imagine they're excited about Joey Bart too. Oh, yeah. Because he looks like he looks like the real deal. So, where, what do you think they do in the off season? I don't think that team will ever fully commit to a rebuild. I, I don't think you're ever going to see them trade away everyone. You saw it with Bumgarner this year when they didn't trade Bumgarner at the deadline. The, everyone who wasn't the San Francisco Giants was like, "What?" Because they were doing okay. Like we, you know, we all saw how good they played for about a month, but you know, it was it was fleeting. Like no one, no one expected it to continue except the Giants. So you know, they're not going to rebuild. They're just not that kind of team. That's just not how they're run. So I expect them to can try try to get those young players. Maybe you know, have some exciting young players for the first time in a you know a couple of years, and uh, you know, try try to supplement them. I, I, I could see them trading one of the three in the offseason, though, between Belt, Crawford, and Posey. Belt makes me sad. Belt is a really, really, really good player. and Belt makes part, me sad, but for other reasons. Yeah. Uh, it's just that ballpark. That ballpark makes everyone look so much worse than they are. I think, I, I, I think of, the, of the three, in terms of value, they might actually be able to get the most from him. Probably because you know, in this age of analytics, of the other teams, I'm sure know exactly how good he is and, and could be. be, yeah. Especially when he gets to you know, not a a seawall for a right field as a left-handed hitter. Right. And uh, speaking of teams with no prospects, hey, the Philadelphia Phillies. I I have I have good news, and I have bad news. The good news is, is it's probably not going to be as bad as 2019 for you guys again next year. That's the good news. The bad news is you're probably stuck with the pieces you have you have right now. You have Jason Vargas signed again next year at $8 million. You I'm have, so sorry. 
You have Jared Hughes at three million. I'm actually not sorry at all. I'm really happy to see Vargas over there. You have Pat Nishak at seven million. That's just some of these guys. And I'll be the show legend, Pat Nishak. Yeah, you have Dave Robertson at eleven million dollars next year. You got McCutcheon coming back, hopefully at seventeen million. Hopefully Robertson throws a pitch next year. A lot of people want to talk about, and I've seen a lot of Phillies fans talk about how they have so much money to spend this offseason. $60 million is the number. First of all, it's closer to 55, but we're not going to argue that tonight. What what I'm going to say is you really don't, unfortunately. If you look at the numbers behind the scenes, you have Reese Hoskins heading into his last pre-arbitration year, probably wanting a long-term deal so he can play with his buddy from Vegas, Harper. Um, you've got Real Muto heading into RB or three, which is one of the more expensive years. We'll be talking about Real Muto a little bit later too, and he's possibly due for a you know extension. Um, Miguel Franco is an RB three, possibly another extension. This is Zach Elfin's first year into arbitration. There are a lot of players that you guys have needed and used successfully when other guys that you're paying a lot of money to have gone down this year that are into arbitration that can use those numbers to ask for more money in arbitration and put you guys actually up against it in terms of the luxury tax to keep it so in terms of the 55 million you have to spend you might actually only have 15 or 20 this off season yeah and Hoskins and Real Muto are the kind of players that they're going to make bank in arbitration. Yes. Especially, especially if Ramuto has a, you know, a good agent on his side, he's going to make a lot of money. Hold up. I will, I will actually, I, I have a feeling I know who his agent is. Is it Boris? I believe it is. Oh man. Sorry, Philly. Is but, it? So aside from. No, it's Jeff Barry who runs CAA. Oh, Okay. Still not as bad, but gonna make his money. He's going to, it, and then you're like, yeah, but we got some prospects coming up, guys. You Do have know. you have Alex Baum, who is granted like I think the number six prospect in all of baseball, who is going to be probably a all star caliber third baseman, and then you have Howard, who's a right handed pitcher, and you have Bryson Stott, who's a shortstop. Do you know what Howard and Stott have in common? What do they have in common? They were drafted in June. <laughs> Not great. Not great when you're talking about not next a, year and their not a good look. contending window. It is, it is unfortunately a, a situation where, and you're welcome for the rules changing because of Trey Turner, hmm. if they want to contend, they might have to go get somebody who's in arbitration, and they might have to trade a Howard or a Stott or maybe even a Bomb if next year really is their contending window. And I think trading either Bomb or Stott is a mistake. I would... Just from looking at their situation and looking at the way teams value prospects now, I would guess that everybody except uh, Bomb is on the table. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. Uh, although some teams and some guys, like you heard him talking to the Diamondbacks about Robbie Reagan last year to connect to something earlier. If he's on the market, that might be that might be the ask for him. And they might decide it's worth it to get a left-handed starting pitcher because they've missed out on signing, what, three last offseason? So when talking about the Phillies and their roster, we've talked almost entirely about their offense. And why is that? Because outside of NOLA, what do they really have on that side of the ball? I I, I said it on this podcast when it happened, when everybody was talking about, oh, they got three all-stars, they're going to cruise to the division. I would have been way more terrified of the Philadelphia Phillies if they went out last year and got Patrick Corbin, Dallas Keuchel, and Craig Kimbrell. They had the offense. They didn't have the pitching, and they still don't. And now their back's up against the wall where they need to find a way to get that pitching in a weak offseason in terms of free agency. Yeah. So, I, I, I wonder if a fully healthy Phillies team can do a National League Yankees kind of thing and just slug their way to the playoffs next year. But the pitching staff, it's just a, it's not a good pitching staff. They're, they're relying on some incredibly unreliable arms. Unfortunately, with- not in the NL East. I think the NL East is the one division you can't slug your way 
to a division yeah. title because of how good the other rotations are. And right. I'm including Miami in that now because their rotation next year looks like it could actually be something. Yeah, Philly's staff might be the worst in the division next year. Yeah. And it's because of the Phillies trading one guy to Miami. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, I mean, yeah, it's just who do you trust after NOLA? Yeah. Velaz- Velasquez? Eikhoff? They, they, they were talking Eflin? They were talking about Pavetta and Elflin take, taking the next step up this year, and they took a huge step back. Yeah, There's a just... reason. There is a reason the Nats were willing to trade Nick Pavetta for Papelbon. Yeah, it's just, but I, I'm and they've got a couple of good relievers, but on the whole, it's it's not a great pen either. And they they kind of had to hope for Arietta to come to get back into form to have like a Justin Verlander second half of his career, but I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know if Robertson's going to come back the same. It's a really, really weird and awkward situation that the, that they're in now. I am on the uh, I'm I'm on team Arietta's washed because uh because he is washed. But uh, yeah, I, I just don't see it. I don't see a I don't see a contending team in the NL East on on that team. They'd have to they'd have to do some wild makeover to their. Pitching Somebody, some Phillies blog was running the idea of trading Hoskins in order to get pitching in. Does he have value? I think he does. But then the problem is, is you just pissed off the guy who you have for 12 more years because you just traded his buddy away. And a part of the reason why he was willing to go there. Well, if you had to guess how much war Hoskins put up this year, what would you say? Probably like 1.6. A little more than that, two point eight. Oh, okay. So that's your supposed to be what third best player, right? Yeah. Like, and you know, it just it just goes back to like positional player value. Like, he's a first base corner outfielder, just not a very valuable, not not valuable positions. And he's hitting two thirty nine this year. He's take, he's. Yeah, I I will say this though. If somehow Scott Kingery takes another jump up this year, next year, next year, that could change a lot of this conversation. But Kingery, his his breakout this year has been kind of luck driven. He's he's babbipping three forty. Yeah, the power looks nice though. Yeah, well, lot lot more lot more power than I expected out of him. But you know, just ball. But it's the same thing you talk about with the Mets run. People who are talking about the Mets running away with the division. It's like if everything breaks their way, maybe. And now, kind of, the Phillies have taken that rollover. The the Mets uh, the Mets have the if everything breaks right World Series for like six years running. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of the Mets, perfect transition. You're welcome. <laughs> so, if you had told me at the beginning of the year that Pete Alonso would be the first best first baseman in baseball. And that's actually not too much of an exaggeration. It kind of depends on if you consider Bellinger a first baseman. But Alonso is, in fact, outproducing every other first baseman, Freeman included. He is, in fact, listed as a right fielder on the MVP ballots. So I believe we can call him a right fielder now. Pete Alonso, best first baseman. Fact. Fact. (laughs) I I thought he was going to have... I saw him last year in the Futures game hit the one onto the concourse in, in D.C. live off 103 and it is still to this day the biggest longest home run i've ever non-bp home run i've seen hit at nats park uh the big complaint about him is he's only got one tool but what a tool it is a large tool there it is there it is <laughs> but so, yeah i thought he'd be you, good but i didn't think he'd be this good this early i don't think anyone did i you know i, I was a big backer of alonso preseason and i did not see this coming 49 home runs another one today He's amazing. Yeah, he went. He went on an over twenty slump. Got moved down a couple spots in the lineup and I responded with two home runs in two days. I mean, granted, he's batting what two sixty seven, two sixty six right now. Not not bad. That's really not bad. That's even higher than I thought it was going to be with them. If you told me he was going to hit like fifty home runs in his first season, I'd be like, what did he bat two forty? Yeah. So yeah, if you told me in the preseason, Alonso's the best first baseman. McNeil puts up a comparable season to last year, just in more playing time. Dom Smith breaks out. J.D. Davis breaks out. Rosario improves. Conforto does more of the same. DeGrom has another Cy Young season. 
that sounds like the formula. They, they ran away with the division, right? Yeah, that sounds like the formula to a winning Mets team. Yeah. And they're like, after today, they're what, like six games over 500 and barely clinging on to the wild card race. Yeah. So what, like, what went wrong and what do we do? What hap- what, what goes What goes on from here? So prospects. There's a couple. So two of our best prospects are a player type that I'm not really a fan of. Uh, so we've got uh, Ronnie Mauricio and Andres Jimenez who are right now defensive and then projectable hitter kind of prospects. And they're both shortstop, second baseman, splitting time at the positions, kind of middle infielders that you see a lot of teams doing right now. Yeah, right. So we've got Rosario at short for at least a few more years, uh, unless they ever move in center field, which I was on board with earlier in the year. But Rosario has been legitimately good at shortstop in the last couple months, which is surprising to everybody after watching the first half. And then we've got Cano uh, and his contracts uh, just sitting there at second base, taking up space, pulling hamstrings every other month. Uh, so is there a spot for our two of our best prospects in the next couple of years? I don't think so. And then we've got the third baseman they just drafted, Beatty. And uh, so, so this year's draft is actually something I wanted to talk about. When talking about the Mets' future plans, there rarely is one. They're, they're not a team that you can ever really look at and go, oh, I see what they're doing. But this past draft... They they basically threw a large chunk of the draft specifically to target one player with a large signing demand and got him. Uh, Matthew Allen, who at the moment is their number four prospect, but I, I kind of expect that to change soon. So they got Matthew Allen in the draft. They got Beatty, who's their number two prospect, and right, then yeah, they got yeah. and then they got Wolf, who is their number nine prospect. So, so they got three of their top ten. So when we talk about prospects list, and this is just a note for the podcast in general, I use MLB Pipeline. Same. Because, one, they're free. You don't have to pay for a subscription. It's an MLB site. And, two, they generally have a, 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 a paragraph of reasoning rather than whole articles about why the player's listed that way and talks about how their projections have gone up and down and stuff. And so they update five times a year so i imagine alan will be way higher when they do the post arizona fall league update yeah so generally when we're talking about prospects here we use pipeline and yeah. generally when we're talking about war or statistics we're usually we're usually using fan graphs because uh you know we just want to be on the same page here we like to both you know both be reading from the same sources exactly yeah so uh yeah very promising that the mets actually yeah. seem to have a plan love it I was I was impressed with their draft as a whole because normally when you talk about throwing it for one guy to meet the signing demand, you're taking lesser known guys and those type of guys that you're like, eh, that's a fringe prospect at that pick, but they did really well in some of those spots where they tried to save money. Yeah, it is it is a risky strategy and they pulled it off against all the odds, really. So the future is a lot brighter than I thought it would be about a year ago. But at the same time, who's, let's say, I don't know, the sixth best starting pitcher in the organization? I don't know. Is I, I don't know. Uh, we, we have five starting pitchers, and that is it. Uh, actually, and, you know, come the offseason, it's four. What do we do with Zach Wheeler? Uh, if they don't re-sign Zach Wheeler or get a good starting pitcher to replace him, there's only four good starting pitchers in the organization. There's no one close in the minors except maybe Peterson. But, I mean, I feel like if Peterson had anything to throw at major league hitters, like, he'd have been up at some point this year. They are. With the, but with the Mets being heavy at middle infielder, I could see them if the Diamondbacks were interested in trading Robbie Ray to bring them up again. I have to imagine that they would they could match up pretty easily on a deal to get the last year of Robbie Ray and have a shot to re-sign him if they don't want to bring back Wheeler and they want to spend that money elsewhere on, like, a Ray extension. I don't think my heart can handle watching Robbie Ray. <laughs> the Mets are a roller coaster as it is. Yeah. I, I don't think I can handle Man. Ray's wildness and home run tendencies on top of that. One of the only players I've ever actually regretted that the Nats have traded away. Yeah? You, you want to watch that? Oof. 
Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't mind it, but I mean, we only got like a year and a half out of Doug Fister for that. He's a very 2019 pitcher. He is. K's dingers walks three true outcomes just from the wrong side of the ball. So he's the Adam Dunn of pitchers. <laughs> yeah, it's actually I actually like that. So what do they do with Wheeler in the offseason? And will they spend in general? So looking at their contracts right now, they are they've spent the 10th most in the league. Now, I have two problems with that. One, we're in New York. Like any team in New York should shouldn't be down there. We should they they should spend more just in general. Everyone thinks it still, you know, goes back to the Madoff thing, and that the Wilpons will never spend all that much. Probably accurate, you know, maybe not the reasoning, but the fact that they won't spend is well documented. Yeah, and a, a good chunk of the money that they have towards the luxury tax number is Cespedes and Wright. And how many at bats have those two guys had this year? Zero. We'll wait. <laughs> Let me let me keep, look that up keep, real quick. Keep waiting. Keep waiting. Keep waiting. It's zero. I'm counting on my fingers trying to figure out how but many you know who, But you know who won't have an at-bat for the Mets next year? Is it Jared Kelenic? It's Jared Kelenic. Yes. I knew that one was coming. There it is. <laughs> There's my one per episode. Gotta be, gotta, be, gotta be better than that. I saw it coming that time. Oh, man. So I think it's better when you see it coming, though. Let's be <laughs> real. There's, there's that dread. The looming dread. <laughs> yeah. So, will they spend? Probably not historically. I mean, but but where do they need to spend though? In the bullpen? Center field. For the love of God, center field. But there's get, no center go, fielders on the market this go, year except. Go get Denard Span for like league minimum. Oh, uh, please no. Uh, but but like where else? Like outside of center field, like where else could they even spend the bullpen? Where you know the best, the second best reliever on the market in the offseason even with a turn it has a torn Achilles and he's still probably the second best reliever on the market. So there's always bargains to be found yeah. in the bullpen. And the Mets are historically bad at not finding them. Go sign Trevor Rosenthal. <laughs> that worked out so well. So the bullpen is one place. Yeah. They, they need to find a bargain in the bullpen. They need to find bargains in the starting rotation and they need a center fielder. There's no center fielders on the market. So that's already out. So basically, are they going to spend on pitching is the question of the offseason. Wheeler being priority one, and then they, they need arms beyond that because there's just no rotational depth in the system. And it's, you know, this was the same story last year, and they did not address it going into the season. Uh, thankfully, they've traded for Stroman. But as far as 2020 is concerned, that just replaces Vargas. Yeah. What happens to Wheeler's spot now? Yeah. Playing time is also an issue. Uh, what what happens with the left field third base logjam? We've got Lowry, Davis, and McNeil for those two spots. When healthy, those are three everyday players. <laughs> I know when when healthy is a is a huge ask from Lowry after this year. Yeah, I was about to he's say he's alive. Who yeah. knew? Well, he is. He's, he got it. Pads finally. They found him. Wow. I thought so, he was like dead in the East River or something. So will Lowry give us anything next year? Maybe. Uh, and a question that the Mets are going to have to answer is, is it better to have Davis's really poor defense at third base or in left field? Probably left field. The answer is left field. Probably. He's actually, actually made some good plays this year. Surprisingly. Oh, yeah. And uh, I guess the, the another question, can Nimmo fake it in center field for a full year? But Probably. Bryce Harper could fake it in center for a year. Nimmo can do it. Yeah, it's just it's so. Oh, nice thing about Nimmo, he's been awesome since he came back from the his neck injury. So good, like Nimmo of last year, and that makes me very happy and hopeful for next year. Because yeah, a healthy a, Nimmo, that was a weird injury too, if I remember correctly. It, it was a very very Mets injury. Didn't he like? I forgot. Like a bulging disc. He like bulged a disc in his neck on a check swing or something. And then they misdiagnosed it, and then he uh, yeah, injured. That's, it. Yeah. That's yeah. the best part of it. Yeah. At least it wasn't hand, foot, and mouth. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see what they do, no matter what. 
and I always watch with bated breath because, you know, got to play them 19 uh, times a year. Yeah. I feel the same way about the Mets that I feel about the Mets every offseason in that they have the pieces. It's just, will they supplement them the right way? I'm and not expecting knows? anything, but I'll be pleasantly surprised if they go and acquire the right talents. So hopefully this reverse jinx has been successful and the Mets will win 10 in a row and you make the playoffs. just said it was a reverse jinx, so now it's not going to work. Sorry. that's. Oh, uh, it was going to work until I said that. Yeah. So <laughs> why don't we move on to our next topic, which we touched on a little bit before with Real Muto. We did. We did. So there is this idea starting, and it really started a few years ago when you started seeing people talk about it on like even like ESPN broadcasts is you know non-sabermetric as they get uh that the idea that catcher valuations need to change because of framing ability and it's a very very interesting look at it because how much it is now affecting things like defensive value of players yeah and we're going to talk a lot about framing numbers and catcher defense right now but I do want to stress that we're not even that like this is like tip of the iceberg kind of stuff. When so when Noah Syndergaard was having issues lately with his catcher Wilson Ramos, there was uh, some research done into Ramos's framing, and they discovered that Ramos is amazing at stealing high strikes. He's tall; it makes sense, and absolutely horrific at framing low strikes and that was causing Syndergaard to miss with his slider and uh, you know it just snowballed from there and that's why Syndergaard was doing so poorly but that's another level of framing like who's good at framing what particular pitches and how does that help certain pitchers and hurt others there's more research to be done there's more to learn always always more to learn that's why I love baseball so much but catcher defense is still needs to be studied more but Fangraph's did a very, very big change last year, beginning of this off season. They, they posted an article about updating war for catchers. And it had some huge implications for both single year and career numbers. Yes. Absolutely blew my mind looking at these charts, by the way. Yeah, so there were players who quite literally with this new framing evaluation gained 20 war for their career. That's two Mike Trout seasons. Yeah. The, the one that, the one that blew my mind is um, Ryan Hannigan on here who the correct answer to that statement is who? Yeah, exactly. He was a catcher for the reds for forever, like six years. Yeah. Quality backup catcher. Quality, starter. quality backup catcher, occasional starter, started for the Reds for forever, and nobody really liked him. You know, he had like eight, he had like six WAR in like six seasons with him. He was a one WAR player. His totals for 2008, 2008 to two thousand eighteen went from eight point eight to seventeen point one. More than doubled. Yeah. So imagine tweaking how you evaluate someone and all of a sudden that player is twice as good as you thought he was yes so fangraphs changed how they looked at catcher defense and that so if you look at the war leaderboards for active players career four of the top nine guys are catchers once this change was made so in the top nine you now have russell martin brian mccann yadier molina and Buster Posey, if you look at their offensive runs compared to defensive runs, they have so many defensive runs. Yeah. So many. So this this change in evaluation just drastically changed how you now have to view these guys' careers. Yeah, it's absolutely it absolutely blew, absolutely blows my mind looking at these these charts and things and being like you know, like everybody always talked about, oh, Jared Saltelmachia brought like so much to like the the Red Sox when he was a catcher there, and he handled the staff so well. And it's just like he lost two war off of all of his seasons because of how bad he was at framing. So you know, maybe he wasn't all there as you know Red Sox fans like like to brag about then. Probably left his pitchers pretty salty. Hey, ah. got him. Yeah. So if you want to look at this year the changes 
that this has caused. Let's let's we talked about Real Muto before. JT Real Muto has 5.7 WAR this year. He has 28 defensive runs. Second place is at like 20. That's just a, a huge, huge gap in between first and second. That's like if Pete Alonso had like 61 home runs right now compared to Suarez's uh, what, 47 for, I think he just hit 48 like during this podcast. It's He's got such a massive defensive lead and it leads to so much of his value. But, but here's my favorite part about this new stat. Framing neutral pitcher ERA. What's what's up? Is there an acronym for that yet? No. Nira. Yeah, I guess. Nira. But like, I mean, it's 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 all subtle changes, but it talks about like, you know, there was negative like twenty three point three framing rating for like multiple seasons of Felix Hernandez's, which changed his career war went up. You know. Um, yeah. Guys like any... Gallardo and all the and Kyle Lose who pitched for who pitched for the Brewers, who of course had Luke Roy, who was one of the best framers. Mm-hmm. Their their WAR went down two point nine for a three year over a three year span because of it. It's it it's what we're doing now with stats in baseball is what like I've always wanted to see stats do in baseball, which is break this game down to such a point that you understand everything that's happening on the field potentially before it happens. I just want all the old men to be screaming at clouds all the time. Well, I think I think I think they're already doing that. Perfect. We've done it. <laughs> Success. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I, I like that the game is getting smarter. I know, I think I say this every week. The game's getting smarter. It's fantastic. It's, I, I, it's one of the beauties of baseball in that every little bit of the sport, there's just so much nuance to it. Yeah, there is. I, I, the one thing I don't like about it, though, is that, they're like, oh, the true three outcomes are the best three outcomes that's happening in some organizations, but... Yeah, you run the risk of everyone starting to think that there's only one way to play, and that's, you know, I kind of understand that concern. Yeah, and and, and you also have... And this is just something personal related to this idea that baseball is getting smarter. I don't like shifts directly behind second base. Directly up the middle. I feel like it really, that just sounds like a uh, that sounds like a Bryce Harper kind of concern. I just I just feel like if you shift somebody directly behind second base, in like a four three feet on each side of the bag, all you're doing in that zone is taking away good hits from good hitters. So are you, you're saying you agree with Bryce Harper on that thing? Yes, actually, I also agree. Also, a lot of other people have said that too. <laughs> Let the record show. Rye Rye agrees with Bryce Harper. Yeah. So the, another question with this catcher evaluation, yes, valuation is, is this going to change how catchers get paid? And we get to see a result of this very quickly because, as we mentioned before, Ramuto is going into an arbitration year, our barb three year, which barb is three. traditionally a big year for the money. big up big uptick in in salary, and and I think he should be paid at a higher level because of how good he is. And for the Phillies, this is where the challenge of signing him to an extension comes in. Mm-hmm. Do you try to sign him to an extension under value before? Because you know his agent, because CAA has been doing this for years now, has literally been printing out all of the Sabre metrics versus other players that are a similar age or better to show that their client deserves more money to win arbitration cases. I'm sure his agent just has the Fangraphs war leaders up and he's salivating. Probably. So, should he get more money? Yes, absolutely. But the question I, I added into this week and this side of it is when we inevitably get to the point, sooner than later probably, of robo-zones where calls are going to be made and determined by a computer and not by framing and tricking the umpire, our team's going to regret over... Will the Phillies regret overpaying Real Muto if that value part of his career goes away? I don't think we're ever going to see robo-umps. This is another conversation entirely. It is. I can see maybe a challenge with a kind of a uh, video review for strikes. You know, maybe a challenge or two a game. I think as soon as we get into reviews for strikes, just go to a 
Grobo zone. Yeah, but they never won't. I don't think they're ever going to remove the uh, el the human element like that. I don't think. Yeah, that's that's just a problem. I don't think they are either. And the umpires have a really really strong union blocking it too. So. Mm -hmm. But if it does if it does come, you now run the risk of having overpaid somebody tremendously. <laughs> yeah, I I don't think. I think Real Muto might be a kind of a special case because he's known as one of the best hitting catchers in the league, and now he's just lapped the field in defense too. Yeah, he also plays a pretty good first base when he's played there too. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's a very athletic guy. He's one of the fastest catchers in the league too. Oh, yeah. Maybe the fastest. I think he is in terms of sprint speed. I think on Statcast, he is the fastest catcher. Yeah, he's a phenomenal athlete. Uh, this is his sixth year, I want to say. Yeah. So, yeah, very, very impressive that yeah. he's maintained this athleticism through the rigors of catching for this long. Absolutely. It's it's going to be incredible. I'm I'm interested to see how he, age, how he ages, though, because I feel like it's going to be a lot better than some other catchers who we've seen. Yeah, Gabe Kapler is lucky to manage him. And speaking of managers... Wow! Two perfect transitions. Um, uh, interesting article got posted on, on MSN by one of my favorite writers, read very sarcastically, Bob Nightingale. Boop. Good old boob. Talking about the idea of which managers are on the hot seat and which could go. And the article centers first around Don Mattingly in Miami, who, of course, will be a free agent manager at the end of the season. Talking about how he wants to be there when Miami finally wins again because he sat through this massive rebuild, you know. Two years ago, he had, you know, Christian Yelich and Osuna and Stanton and Real Muto, and now he has... Starling Castro and Jorge Alfaro. What happens first? A Miami winning season or the sun consuming us all? I don't know. What about what, what about Joe Buck getting a successful hair transplant? Where does that fall into that line too? Um My money is on the sun over both of those. Yeah, probably. And so it was it was an interesting look at that and talking about how he is now in fact the longest tenured in terms of games managers in Marlins history. Which I'm is sure terrifying. Which is terrifying that he passed Jack McKinnon. What does he have, like, 20 wins in his career there, though? Um, hold up. It says it in this article. I believe he, ha I believe he has 198 career wins in Miami. Oh, that's, that's in, like, 12 seasons. Good for him. Yeah, right? And it also talks about another manager that's a free agent. And, and Joe Madden, who, of course, is the Cubs manager, and he's a free agent at the end of the season. And then I'm going to talk about the other the other two you've heard of versus the other two free agents. Um, Ned Yost is also a free agent in Kansas City. Clint Hurdle is a free agent in Pittsburgh. Uh, the two you've never heard of who could get fired, Scott Cervase in Seattle, and Andy Green in San Diego. And then basically every manager except for the Braves manager in the NL East is also on the hot seat, although all three would have to be fired. They're the only non-free agents on the list. And so, the idea with managers is, and baseball references tried to start doing some of this, where they talk about manager tendencies to try and determine how many wins or losses that the manager has. They did actually have a manager win-loss record, like a manager managed them to plus wins or minus wins, and they got rid of it because they're reworking the formula and things. So the question is, is how many of the, the managers that will get could get fired in the NL East first in Kapler Callaway and Dave Martinez how many of those three actually get fired so team by team I think uh, uh, let's let's start Phillies I think Kapler goes their team has underachieved too much he made too many promises early and yeah some of them come to fruition some of them haven't but they're trying too hard to tolerate this kind of underachievement yeah i i he should have he should have been fired the day the article got published in sports illustrated about what he did in the dodgers farm system as their manager in the... yeah not, not a great look it was not a great look so i i am totally on kapler getting fired so then mattingly mattingly i think stays uh i don't think there's a reason to fire him i think they like him there and when I say they, I mean the the front office, the the team, the guys that matter, whether he gets fired or yeah, not. Yeah, he's he's a Jeets bro. I think he's gonna stay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a he's a Yankee. He's a former Yankees. He's a, I, I'm willing to bet that he is in Jeets' good graces. 
and not for nothing no one expects them to do well like if if behind the scenes the team is happy the young guys are developing manningly's fine yeah absolutely I'll, I'll get I'll get into the only situation that Mattingly goes late, a little bit later, but moving on to Mickey Calloway in New York. I I am not a reactive person. I like to think, so it's been two years now, and I've been just slowly, slowly souring on Calloway. I think I had two breaking points. The first was when he absolutely went off on a beat reporter when by all accounts the he didn't really do anything he said like see you tomorrow so this was when Callaway was on a particularly hot seat because the Mets were losing so many games in the middle of the year and there was a press conference and Callaway cursed out the beat writer I want to say it was Tim Healy uh, that sounds right and I think Jason Vargas also said like I'll fuck you up bro to a reporter Porter, which is just not okay none of that's okay there was there and the other part the the thing that really made me out on Callaway and this is very on brand for me is when he said I managed to the analytics like what like 20% of the time I forget the exact quote I'm paraphrasing but he said he doesn't use the analytics when he's managing and that's when I was like nope I'm done I'm out yeah he can go. Yeah, I'm. I would not be surprised if he is back next year, but I'm also wouldn't be surprised if he's fired if they they go and try and get somebody else. Yeah, for a guy who came over with the pitching guru hype that he did, he managed the Indians team that really had some innovative bullpen usage. That he came from the Andrew Miller Indians, and and then everyone didn't thought, do it. <laughs> no. No, did you see how long it took him to go from Diaz to Lugo as the closer? It's yeah. wild. And the usage of Lugo and other relievers, just for, for a supposedly pitching guy, it's, it's been very underwhelming, very underwhelming watching him manage a pitching staff. So I think he should go, and that means he will not because the Mets never do what you expect them to. Yeah, absolutely. Last one, Dave Martinez for the Nationals. I think it depends purely on the bolt, on the uh, postseason run. I I agree. I agree. I think if they make the postseason, he's fine. But I also don't have high hopes for him in the last year of his deal surviving the year because we'll still have the same GM who does not know how to put a bullpen together. I would... My ultimate dream scenario is Davey Martinez stays and Mike Rizzo gets fired or goes somewhere mm. else, which I don't think will happen. It's, it's tough to manage a bullpen when you're just choosing between guys with six ERAs. Yeah, it, it, I would love to see what he could do with an actual bullpen because he has used these guys creatively and tried to get them into favorable matchups a lot, going, oh, you're going to get these two guys, and then I'm going to go to this guy for this guy, and then you're not batting next inning, so I'm going to bring you out to face the lefty the next inning, and things like that that are things that you know second-year managers don't really do a lot of. And the guys just can't get these guys out. I think what ultimately is going to happen is ultimately going to be the day I stop being a Nats fan, which is I think David Martinez is going to get scapegoated if they miss the postseason this year, and Mike Rizzo is going to stay, and I'm just going to be done with him because there's no point in him hiring an eighth manager. Which, by the way, that would be his eighth hire since taking over as GM in 2011. Not bad. That sounds bad. Yeah. Um, by the way, the only manager, the only GM to hire more managers at during their tenure has been... Cashman in New York, who, of course, you know. That's a special case. That's actually very, won a World Series. The, the, the specialist case. The old, So I'm a, I'm a lifelong, well, I'm, since the year 2000, I'm a Yankees hater. And the only thing that I'm legitimately jealous of about the Yankees is Brian Cashman. Yes. That it's just such a well-run organization. so good at his job. Yeah. It's so, infuriating how good he is at his job. I guess the next question is, is does Madden leave Chicago? Or does Chicago want Madden back? Well, the, the the theory right now is that the Cubs have been grooming his replacement, Ross. Uh, they, a lot of people behind the scenes seem to think that uh, that Ross is going to be their next manager. Well, they also said that when Madden was leaving that they were going to just promote Davey Martinez from bench coach to the manager job too, and how'd that turn out? 
Signed him into an extension, and Davy said, "See ya." <laughs> the I, I think that's actually going to be a similar case to Davy Martinez, where what they do will, uh, you know, it, it'll be heavily influenced by how deep of a playoff run this is. Yeah. Um, the other two no surprise fires. I think Green is gone in San Diego, and I think Surface is gone in Seattle. For different reasons, you want a guy who can help develop people in Seattle, and you want somebody who can be successful in San Diego because you've got to win now. Yeah, I think the Andy Green is. I think Andy Green is going to go. Just be. I, I think that's going to be like a shakeup kind of hire, like shake up the culture, switch from a developing mindset to a win now mindset. I, yeah, I, and I, I think a manager is a good way to kind of you know kick kick the team in the ass and, and get them going in that direction. And of course the rumor the rumor with the Padres is they're going to try and talk Bochi out of not retiring and coming back where he started his career. That would be interesting. That would be interesting. Um and a good a good hire for you know what I was just talking about. A great hire. I don't know. The other ob- the other option that you know talk about is the, the assistant uh GM in uh Anaheim which is Eric Chavez who used to play for the Padres forever ago who he could be up there too. Uh, the 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 really interesting one is what happens in is what happens in Pittsburgh and what happens in Kansas City, because they're both tough places. I, I think Pittsburgh. I think he's gone. I, if if this he's year's been a disaster. If he's not gone because this year is a disaster, he needs to go because of, he needs anger management lessons before he manages again. It's just like the, the they've started hear, what nine fights by him calling to hit guys. The, the, the fights. Uh, you, you, I mean, his his players are fighting each other. So, I mean, although we, people do have theories on why that happens, yeah, <laughs> I am I am no longer going to talk at length about how any particular player is very good because the last time I did that, he got arrested the next week. <laughs> so let's not talk, talk about please, that. Please talk about it. But please talk about how good Bryce Harper is at length. Thanks. Literally the best in the league. No, no, we're not doing that again. Kyle Crick was right. <laughs> Pray, thoughts and prayers for Crick. He was right all along. Yeah, he was. I, I don't know. I feel, I feel like even though he's got a contract for one more year, I feel like he's gone because of the fights this year. It's, it's been a brutal he's year. He's lost the locker. Players fighting each other in the locker room is a sign you've lost it and you've got to get a new manager in. Yeah, I, I feel that that's a team in need of a culture change as they move on to the next phase in the franchise. Yeah, um, and I also just think it's time for Yost to go in Kansas City. I feel like he's he's run his course there. You know, he yeah, got him the World Series title. I, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't think it says anything about him if he goes. I think, you know, it's just time. And at sixty five, take take an assistant GM job or a special assistant job in the front office and just enjoy retirement for a bit. Yeah, you know, to, you know, take it, take take some time off from the daily grind. And of course, you're, the rumor there is, and of course, the rumor there is they're going to promote Matheny. Mm-hmm to the manager's job which wouldn't surprise me so with with all of this said there is a free agent manager that i think needs to come up come up in this of all of these teams are any of these jobs enticing enough for girardi to come out of retirement you hear his name connected to the Mets a lot and that makes me nervous you hear his name connected to all of these teams. Ever, ever, yeah, yeah the, Cub, a... the Cubs if if Ross doesn't want if Ross doesn't feel like he needs can be promoted Girardi could go there you hear yeah, it in Philly Cubs. you hear it in Philly you hear it in uh the Padres talking about it the Nats of course wanted Girardi yeah I mean he's a, him. you know every everyone loves a former backup catcher manager yeah, uh, you know Ross and Girardi. There you go. So I, I think Girardi's you know baseball lifer, really bright guy. He was successful with the Yankees. I, I'm pretty sure any team with a managerial opening is going to be tripping over themselves trying to get him in the offseason. As to where he goes, I think he's going to have his options. So it's going to be entirely up to him. I think so too. Now you're right. Re- you ready for you ready for my next level conspiracy theory Let's on, on managers. Love a good conspiracy. Dave Martinez is going to stay on with the Nationals, but get fired as the head coach, and they're going to bring Madden in as the head coach and devote him down to bench coach. You think you you think you would like Madden? I think I would put up with him. Okay. I think I could put up with him. I, I think the newer school you are, the more you can tolerate Madden. Although he doesn't do things new school sometimes, which is weird to me. 
he's a he's a really interesting mix of like a, a thoughtful guy but with also some really old man yells at clouds kind of opinions and this yeah and this is gonna sound really really weird but the one guy i don't actually want is i don't want Girardi. yeah uh, i don't know if you've ever heard the stories about when he managed in new york is he had his book for the series mm-hmm. and he would manage by that book no matter what the situation was and it pissed off some pitchers sometimes and stuff because it's like, no, it's I don't care that you're you want to be the setup guy. It's your day to pitch in the series. You're pitching. So hopefully he's learned from that a little bit. Hopefully, maybe yeah. Hopefully. So why don't we uh, why don't we move on to MLB the show? Yeah. I, f- I feel I feel like I feel like it was time. It was time we talked we. We want, we wanted to be quick about the manager thing and it did not happen. We're not good at being brief. We have no, thoughts. No, we're not. We do have we do have a lot of thoughts. Uh I have I have thoughts about what happened in MLB the show. I know you want to talk about our newest World Series reward. I do, but I feel like we should talk about the other nine more easily attainable signature series that came out this week first. Or last week first. Okay. So of the of the nine that came out, do you do you have any yet? Um I bought ryan zimmerman because i had to of course and i do not have any i'm very close to the 200 stars reward which i'm going to take tony perez for my all reds team but that's as close as it has i haven't i haven't done any of the signature team programs yet so that's on me so my my new sig series story is uh i i got my 300 stars for siever I put him in my rotation. I played a ranked series, uh, ranked seasons game, and immediately queued up at about 500 rank uh, against somebody with a World Series banner. And I got Seaver, and I pitched like nine innings of one run ball, but never felt particularly threatened. So A plus, like Seaver. Nice. All right. Who's your favorite non boss signature series they added? I, I like Hamels. I, I-, I like a lefty with a good repertoire. Uh, so I, I thought I was going to like Tommy John a lot, but his uh, his really slow fastball kind of puts a cap on how good he can be. A, a, a good hitter is not going to be fooled by all that junk. So I I, I hate Pee Wee Reese, but I'm sure I'm sure he's going to perform well because that's kind of the meta. The uh, high contact, low power guys bloop in hits for days. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, uh, I, uh, my favorite non-boss so far is that uh, that Hamels. Yeah, uh, I like I like the Ryan Zimmerman. I have him in my you know team or whatever. Shocking, but you know, of course I'm gonna put him in. He's my boy. I have it for I I have him at first base though. First base has been a revolving door for me this year. Lots of options. I have not hit with Thomas. It it's unfortunate. I just didn't hit with Thomas to keep him in for that you know diamond defense at common. Yeah. So I. Uh... I got Honus, and uh, while I was getting him, I, I picked up Cano. Cano is so good, the Sig Series Cano. I saw you uh, playing with him the other day. Oh, he's so good. But so uh, let's not let's not turn this into just the you know, talking about Whole our whole other thing. Because Chipper yeah. Jones is the World Series reward right now. The new one they added, which is somehow both a huge win and a huge loss. Tell us why. It's a huge win in that he's finally in the game. Like, everybody's, every inning has been, Chipper Jones is going to be one of the bosses. Chipper Jones is going to be one of the bosses. So it's great that he's finally in the game, and I think his card is pushed in a way that makes it really fun and entertaining. Mm -hmm. And that's the win side of it. For me, the loss is, I saw so many more people tweeting, oh, well, I guess I'm not going to get my favorite player. I'm done for the year. Yeah, so I, I like to think I'm pretty good at the game. Uh, I topped out at like 825 or 850. Yeah. I don't feel super confident that I'm going to get chipper. Yeah, I I'm I'm a I'm like a 760 770 cap guy. So like I know I'm never going to get him. I'm going to have to flip and buy him. And it's unfortunate in you know even though I am a Nats fan and grew up not liking the Braves because I grew up a Reds fan. I still liked watching him play, and I've always liked him on my teams. I like doing all switch hitter teams late in the year. And it just it's just a huge L for me because I know that I'm going to have to work so much harder flipping or whatever in order to get him. Yeah, and this time of year, the flipping is not fantastic. He would have been, he would have been a great final signature team's reward. Yeah. Well, 
Speaking of that, who do you think is going to be the final? It's Ruth. Six teams. Reward? It's Ruth. It's got. It's got to be Ruth. Ooh, I don't know. Those it's games gotta, are not hard enough. It's got to be Ruth. I don't know, man. I think you're gonna. I think I'm thinking like Ted Williams. That that's one of my other ones. I had I had three people in my head that I thought it could be. Um, I thought Ruth Williams and oh, now I'm drawing a blank on on who. And I'm drawing a blank on it. Um, like who another. Else? Like another old school, no, not like another old school guy. I think Poolhouse might be one of the signature series, yeah, other so signature series rewards. I'm thinking back to last year, and this was after I quit playing, so I'm not super confident on this. But later in the year, like the next, the, the second wave of Immortals, um, they, I, I think Ted Williams was in there, Trout was in there, and they made those guys like a, a little bit more attainable, uh, a little more easily attainable than the first wave. So I, I think, I, I think they kind of view those guys as like the great players that they'll kind of like trout. It's going to be trout. That's my new guess. I'd be perfectly happy with that. It's a great way to get a guy that everybody knows in at a fairly easy attainable rate. Yeah, like I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if it was like, kind of like a Gehrig statistic mirror, Ted Williams, like just hitting stats just blown up like 125s across the board not a great defender that kind of thing that's that's another that's another good one but anyway i think that about wraps it up for another episode that went way longer than we intended so tell us about our sponsor so guys we are now on anchor.fm you can check us out at anchor.fm slash the show a baseball podcast it also means we are still on apple at the same link we are also on google podcast spotify and now breaker if you guys want to check us out you can support us either through anchor or you can continue to be a patron on patreon and as always we want to thank our patrons chris jared and murph thank you guys for the continued support as always thanks so, friends so for schwebzy this is Rai signing off until next week